And amen. Have your Bibles tonight. Open them with me, if you will, to the book of Proverbs. And we've been looking here, or started looking at least, on 40 points of good character. 40 points of good character. Now, we, we used as a sort of a springboard, we'll be in Proverbs chapter 5 in just a moment, but we used as a springboard out of that uh, a couple of verses in Matthew 15. Matthew chapter 15, verse 19 and 20, the Lord says this, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands defileth not a man. Now here we find that the things that come out of our heart is what defiles us. The things that, uh, uh, that, that comes from within. And we're looking at these things of what makes good character. Now, by the way, that comes from within also. What is in our heart. And, and the Word of God gives us some things that are good character. And what God, God says is godly and right and holy and righteous. And, and so we, we begin to look at those. We've seen eight of them. I'll try to get eight more tonight. It, I didn't get eight the first week. We did get them in two. And we'll see about that tonight. There are eight more of these that I've got in this second lesson of good character. And so we start in chapter 5 and verse number uh, 2. Let's read 1 and 2. Uh, Proverbs 5, verse 1. My son, attend unto my wisdom, and bow thine ear to mine understanding, that thou mayest regard discretion, and that thy lips may keep knowledge. If you're in a habit of underlying things in your Bible, you ought to underline that first phrase in verse number 2, that thou mayest regard discretion. One of the things of good character is discretion. Discretion is talked about quite a bit in the book of Proverbs. As a matter of fact, I think it's one of these things that we probably don't talk about enough or teach enough on. What does it mean to have discretion? And, and every one of us are going to have to have discretion in life on a daily basis, by the way. Uh, there's things going to come our way that we have to make decisions about. There are things that we're going to have to decide what to do and not do. And, and discretion has a twofold thing for it. It's number one, it's judgment with caution. In other words, we're, we're looking at something and we have to make a, de a, a decision. Should I do this or not do this? Now, sometimes it's not very sinful. As a matter of fact, sometimes there may be an appearance of sin. And there's a discretion. The Apostle Paul said that we're to abstain from all appearance of evil. Every once in a while, somebody will argue, and say, well, that's not wrong for that way. It may not, but it may appear evil. It may cause some lost person to uh, lose confidence in our testimony. It may cause some young Christian to stumble and fall. There's discretion that you and I have to be used. There's discretion that we ought to use in the things we do and, and the places we go and, and our attitudes and our actions and our vocabulary, a lot of things. There's discretion that we are to have in our lives as to, what we, as to how we present ourselves. Discretion is important. It's part of character, by the way. It's a bad character to say, I don't care what people think about me. You ought to have some discretion about some things. 
It is true that you and I should just be most concerned about what Jesus thinks about us. But the truth of the matter is, you and I are having an influence on the people around about us. And people around about you and I are watching our lives and they're paying attention to what's going on in what we're doing and not doing. I heard something when I was a teenager. It sort of changed my life in that and it helped me. God showed me it was true. I didn't think it was true. I heard a youth director when I was 14 years old make this statement. He said this. He said, somebody's either going to go to heaven or hell depending on how you live. I remember listening to that and sitting in that classroom and thinking, nobody, nobody is watching me. Ain't nobody watching me. Uh, they're, they're, they're watching Brother Lee. That was my pastor at the time. They're, they're watching Brother Guy, and that was a youth director. I looked around about the room, and I seen some other kids that went to school with. That we had the class president of the upper, uh, upper classroom there, and I thought they're watching him. And some other folks, I they're watching. Nobody's watching me. And a couple of days later, and I heard a couple of boys arguing about whether or not the Bible that I was carrying to school, whether I really believed it or not. And the Holy Spirit just spoke to my heart and said, "Hey, people are watching you. You people got you got people watching you. You, you give a track to somebody and find a church, they're watching you to see if it's real. Uh, listen, we're as families. You got children watching you." You got grandchildren watching you. And the biggest thing you and I need is discretion. And a lot of times we just need discretion. Not necessarily sometimes for ourselves. The Apostle Paul in the book of Romans, that's an interesting thing where he says, you know, if, if eating meat offends my brother, I won't eat any meat. The great truth. Now, what is that? It's discretion. It's discretion of doing the right thing so that it doesn't offend or hurt someone else. And this thing of discretion is good character. It's because you're not thinking about yourself, you're thinking about someone else. You've got somebody else's well-being in mind and somebody else's uh, growth, spiritual growth in mind. Discretion. It's one of those things that uh, doesn't come easy and something that you and I have to think about. And so we find in verse number 2 of the fifth proverb again, it says that thou mayest regard discretion, and thy lips may keep knowledge. There's good truth. One of the points of good character is discretion. I want to look at another one in uh, the sixth proverb. Now, I'll get two out of that sixth proverb, and they're lengthy passages with both of them. I'm going to start reading in verse number six, and I want you to notice something. We'll read through verse number 11, and we're going to get one of these points of good character out of here. Go to the ant, thou sluggard, Consider her ways, and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer, and gathereth her food in the harvest. How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? When wilt thou rise out of thy sleep? Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep, and so shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth, and thy want as an armed man. Now all of this passage of Scripture is talking about slothfulness. And I'm going to tell you something. One of the things that is important to good character is have a disciplined life to not be slothful. 
Uh, this whole passage deals with uh, being disciplined enough, self-discipline, to do what needs to be done without being forced to do it. And, and if you'll notice, it talks about the sluggard. And, and, and there's several things in this passage that is a disciplined life. Now, nobody can do that for you and I as adults but ourselves. It's one of the things that we have to train into our children. And as I look at a passage like this, and the older I get especially, I, I look back and I remember how my dad and mom raised Trevor and I. And boy, there was a lot of, there, there was a lot of disciplined life with that. Uh, we, whenever, uh, uh, whenever my dad said, get up in the morning, you got up. And I mean, he didn't tell you twice. He walked in and uh, uh, stuck his head in the door and said, time to get up. You say, what time was that? Whatever time he stuck his head in the door, it didn't matter. I mean, it didn't matter. And, uh, and, and there wasn't this uh, whining and crying and pitching a fit and being grouchy. Uh, you didn't do that, but once or twice you realized that was a very bad mistake. And what he was doing, he was teaching discipline. Discipline. As we got older and got on our own, hey, there's a lot of times in life you have to get up early. Sometimes you have to stay up all night long. Sometimes you've got to get up in the middle of the night. And you know, have someone there forcing you to do it. It's a discipline in that. But it's not just about getting up and going to bed and getting up. It's about everything in life. It is amazing to me in, in this generation how that we've got folks that are undisciplined. It is amazing to me that we, uh, we have a lot of companies that are got people to work for them, and they have to give them all kinds of incentives just to get up on time. It's amazing to me. They're not disciplined enough to get up on time, not disciplined enough to get up when they need to be. And it's, this, this passage calls it a sluggard. Now go back to verse 6, and I want you to notice what it says. Go to the ant thou sluggard. He says, now listen, if you ain't disciplined in your life, you don't do what you need to do in your life. You have to, you're, you're always making excuses for why you're not doing the right thing. You're not, most of this deals with just doing what is right and doing it on time and being, being where you need to be. He says, go to the ant. What's the ants? You sluggard. He said, what do the ants do? Now notice what they do. He says, consider her ways and be wise. Think of what the ants do. What do they do? Verse 7, which have no guide, overseer, or ruler. So they don't have anybody guiding them. They don't have any ruler. But what do they do? Well, verse, uh, verse number 8. They provi provide their meat in the summer and gather their fruit in the harvest. Did you know what they do? They don't have anybody tell them to go at it, and they go at it. They don't have anybody to tell them to get busy, and they get busy. They don't tell them, have anybody to tell them that it's overtime, they need to get out, that summer and winter's coming, and they, they work long hours, they get up early, they stay late, do whatever they need to do. They don't have anybody guiding them in doing that. It is self-discipline. There's great truth in that. There's great truth in that. There's a lot of things in life that you and I have to be self-disciplined at. Not just jobs and getting up and doing things. Listen, you have to be self-disciplined to read your Bible. You have to be disciplined at it. I mean, I'm constantly encouraging you on Sunday morning, get you to hold your Bible up and uh, ask you if you've read your Bible this week. And just trying to encourage you, challenge you with something. I remember the first time I ever heard that mentioned, and uh, uh, Brother Tom Sexton, Brother Clarence's brother, was preaching, and uh, he, uh, he became, got saved, and God called him to preach, and he went to Tennessee Temple uh, University. No longer exists, but Tennessee Temple was the largest uh, fundamental university in the, in the world at that time. 
And he went to the university, and he's a Bible college student. He's sitting on the front row like these two fellows here, a bunch of Bible college students on Sunday morning. And he said, we're sitting there, and Dr. Robertson, a great man of God, gets up behind the pulpit, and he said, first time he'd been there, and he held his Bible up, Dr. Robertson did, and I can, hear, I can still hear him saying it. Hold up your Bibles. Hold it up. Hold it up. Hold it up now. Hold it up. That's about the way he talked. And he said, now, keep holding it up. And he said, we held our Bibles up. And he said, I'm holding my Bible and waving it around. Because Dr. Robertson was going, hold it up. Hold it up. Hold it up now. And he said, now, if you've been reading it every day this week, keep holding it up. He said, I'm sitting on the front row. And he said, I'm uh, being called to preach. And he said, I hadn't read my Bible that week. And he said, that was the most embarrassing thing to take my Bible down. He said, it never happened again. I heard him say that in the service, and I thought, man, that'd be a good thing to do at church. <laughs> I'd do that. Wherever they let me preach, I'd do that. And you ought to see some people. <laughs> I, preached, I preached Brother Joel Young, and he said, now, y'all need to read your Bibles this week, because he's going to ask you that when he gets here. And what is this? Discipline. Self-discipline. I know life is busy. My goodness, it seems like the older you get, the busier you get, the more you got to do. It's supposed to slow down when you get older. It hadn't for me. And there has to be a self-discipline. Maybe you do have to get up early to read. Maybe you have to step a little later. Maybe there's some other things you have to make a decision about. But in your Christian life, there has to be self-discipline. Nobody's going to make you do it. Nobody's going to make you do it. Nobody's going to make you come to church on Wednesday night. Listen, y'all pretty disciplined to be here. I mean, it's a choice. There's a, 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 I read a lot of things. A lot of churches even closing their Wednesday night service out. It's discipline. It's self-discipline. And the truth of the matter is, uh, there's a lot of things in my life that's self-discipline. Hey, listen, the way I treat Elizabeth is self-discipline. The way I treat my kids, there's discipline in it. And, and, and all of this passage is making reference to that. And then it begins to ask some questions. And, and, and I want you to notice what he says about the discipline and what he says about what we ought to do in the questions. Verse number 9. How long without sleep, O sluggard? How long will that, when without rise out of thy sleep? He says, how long are you just going to be asleep? Now, there's two, way, two things in sleep I thought about. There's a physical sleep. He says, how long are you going to do that? How long are you going to sleep? You need to know when you've got to get up and get up. How long are you going to lay there? But there's a spiritual sleep. And... Paul speaks of being asleep spiritually. And he's asking, how long are you going to sleep? Now, the next verse has been one of these verses that, verse 10, challenged me a long time ago. I want you to notice what it says. And, and, and there's something in it. Yet a little sleep. Well, I remember years ago when I was reading that, I began to circle that word little. It didn't say a lot. It said a little a little sleep, a little slumber, a little of the folding hands of sleep. I mean, three times he mentions that in, in this verse. He says, just a little, just a little. It's not a lot. He says, you, you know what? You're, we often look at it in... And we, we look at our lives, and it's the little things often that's going to get us in trouble. It's the little things that's going to lead us in the wrong direction. And he says, you know what it is with this, uh, with, with, with this being a, uh, uh, making sure that we have a disciplined life? 
You lose that disciplined life just a little at a time. You lose it by a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands of sleep. And he says, now if you do that, verse 11, and he says, so shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth. It's interesting. He says, you know what? If all you ever do is run around, it's going to cost you money when you're traveling, running around. You'll eventually go broke. That's what that's making reference to. He says, if all you do is just run around, it costs you money. By the way, it does. And he says, or as an armed man. He's talking about someone that, uh, that your want is an armed man. It's someone trying to take something along there, just desire something. A little slumber. A little sleep. One of the things that drives me, and I learned that years ago, just a little bit. Don't take much. I got to be diligent every day. Every day. I got to be diligent to read my Bible. I got to be diligent to pray. I got to be diligent to physically get up on time. And got to be diligent to do what I need to do because just a little bit, just a little bit, is all it's going to take to get me in trouble. One point of good character is has a disciplined life, a very disciplined life. And it is character. It's not some people are just lucky at it. They're disciplined. And they're disciplined in, in, in their life. They're disciplined in what they do. And, and, and they're disciplined in just staying at it. It's a great, great truth. So number, number one tonight, has discretion. Number two, has a disciplined life. I want you to notice, we'll start reading in verse 16. And there, there's something here, and I'm going to pull one phrase out and give you a point of good character. It would seem like there's seven in this text, but I'm going to roll it into one. And I want you to notice what it says. These six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift to, uh, in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. Now in those four verses, there are seven things that God brings out. There are seven things He deals with. As a matter of fact, it's, it's been interesting to me, uh, in verse six, uh, 16 where it says, These six things do the Lord hate. Well, there's a great truth. There's some things God hates. There's some things that God looks at, and, and God says, I hate that. Now, God's God of love. I'm glad He is. If He wasn't a God of love, I'd be in trouble. I know I would. If He wasn't a God of grace and God of mercy, I'd be in trouble. I know that. But I need to recognize there are some things that God hates. And then He says, and yea, seven are an abomination to me. He says, you know what? That word abomination... Uh, trying to years ago, I was saying, Lord, how can I describe what an abomination? Something sickening, something's disgusting. But I found something in the Book of Revelation, uh, Re Revelation chapter three. Jesus is talking to the church at Laodicea, and he, he says, "I would thou were cold or hot, not lukewarm. Because thou are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth." And God says, "You know what?" He says, "That's sickening to me, and I'm going to vomit that out." That's what that word abomination means. When God says something is an abomination inside. It's, it's something disgusting. He says, it's like something that I would take into my mouth and I just wouldn't like it. I'll just vomit it out. 
And so you find here that God mentions these things. Something he hates. Something's an abomination to him. And I, I tried to roll all that together in one character. And, and I pulled out this word. God is looking for good character for someone that is truthful. You know, there's a great truth. There's a great truth that you and I have to be truthful. Not just to people. Well, that's important. That's important. It's important that we're, we're honest and truthful with people. If we're not, what happens? People can't trust us. And you, you, you find every once in a while I, I deal with people and trying to solve problems between people and, and one of them will say, well, he's just not truthful or she's just not truthful. They're giving me half-truths. I don't trust them. I find that sometimes with parents with children and children with parents. And I find it with siblings and friends and co-workers and trying to settle, uh, settle things and make people at right with one another again. And by the way, there's really no way to do that if there's not trust. And if there's not trust, if we're not truthful, you, you've probably got a problem in trying to really have the right fellowship. And so all of these things, we're not truthful with God. And I go back and let's look at them, if you will. These six things that the Lord hates, yea, seven abomination. Number one, a proud look. Well, one of the things I have to be honest with God about is my pride. Boy, every one of us fights our pride. That's why I got Satan in trouble. According to the book of Isaiah, he was proud. And his pride lifted him up. And he said, now, sit on the sides. No, I'll be like the most high. He's proud. God had lifted Lucifer up. I believe he was one of three archangels. We only have three angels that are named in the Bible, Gabriel, Michael, and Lucifer. He was one of those archangels. He had a great position and great prominence that God gave him. And because of that prominence, he had pride. God hates a proud look. Well, one of the things that gets all of us, if we're not careful, is, boy, God loves us. God's good to us. And sometimes that blessing of God causes us to get prideful. It causes us to be lifted up with pride. And then it causes us to think we're entitled to something. Boy, isn't that a, a bad sense? Pride does that to us, by the way. We were talking about living in an entitled generation. They have a proud look. They think they're entitled to everything. And what is that? It's pride. It's not being truthful. It's not being truthful at number one, that we're sinners. And, and, and that we're at, at best, our righteousness are as filthy rags. And if I got what I deserved tonight, God would put me into hell. And, and a proud look is not being truthful about the fact that I'm a sinner. And there's nothing good that dwells in me. Number two, notice the next thing. And it says, a lying tongue. Well, that almost goes without saying, God expects me to speak truth. God expects me to be honest with Him and with man. The difference is God knows if I'm lying. God knows if you're lying. No matter what I say, God knows whether I'm being truthful or not. And God knows whether we're being truthful or not. He knows. By the way, He knows if we're given a half-truth. I think one of the things that's more aggravating to me is that not someone that lies, you know they're lying, Someone that gives you a half-truth. And, and then whenever 
And by the way, half-truths always cause problems. They, they, they always create issues, and they always create things and uh, bad things, generally. And whenever you have them deal with it, you say, well, I didn't exactly say that. Well, no, you, you might not have, but you knew I thought that as a half-truth. You're lying to me. No, I wasn't lying to you. I didn't exactly say, well, a half-truth. God hates a lying tongue. God hates a lying tongue. You know, I've got to be honest. Honest with God and honest with ourselves. God's looking for a character. It's a truthful character. And I keep reading. A proud look and lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. Well, we think, well, I'm not guilty of that. Well, there's more ways than one of shedding innocent blood. Sometimes we can just be a party to it. Every time I read this innocent blood, there's a lot of things I think of. One of the things I think of in our nation that we've, we have been party to shedding innocent blood. Is this abortion thing? Hands that shed innocent blood. And sitting back just watching things and being part of it. God wants us to be truthful about it. Keep reading. You'll notice something else. Verse 18, "...and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations." I, I, I read in Matthew chapter 15, verse 19 to 20, what comes out of our heart, wicked imagination. That's what defiles us. Jesus said that Himself. He began to, to name the things, murders and adulteries and fornications and thefts and false witnesses. A heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. Every one of us ought to pay close attention to our heart and be truthful with God about what's coming out of it and truthful with man. Feet to be swift and running to mischief. Well, that's a great truth as I have to be careful about what I'm doing. A false witness. A false witness. Someone that says something, swears something is true, it's not true. And then watch this last one when it simply says, and he that soweth discord among brethren. Well, somebody that tries to create issues between people. And that's, a, that, that's something been untruthful. It's interesting to me. I've lived long enough now and had to deal with it in more ways than one, but some, there are some people that all they live for to see what kind of contention they can cause between people. All they're trying to do is just see what kind of, what kind of issue they can cause between two people. They hear something and they cannot help but cause contention and problems. By the way, God, God wants me to conceal a matter. There's a lot of things I don't need to run my mouth about. A lot of things that I know. <laughs> Listen, doing, doing, doing what God's got me doing, there are a lot of things I know I wish I didn't know. A lot of things I know that oftentimes I just wake up in the middle of the night praying, Oh dear God, take care of that and help me to have enough discretion to keep my mouth shut and not even accidentally disclose something. It would create an issue. It would cause two people that don't have a problem to have a problem, so in discord between them. The great truth in that. Let alone intentionally doing it. Oh, I, they just needed to know. A lot of times they don't need to know. It ain't going to change anything. And it's so in discord among brethren. Not being truthful. Being prideful. And so this one here, this third one we've looked at tonight, We've got to have discretion in life. It's a great character trait. We've got to have a disciplined life. That's a great character trait. We've got to have a truthful life. Boy, that is a great character. 
Go if you will to chapter 7 now, verses 1 through 3. I want to get a fourth one for tonight. Let's get another character trait. We, we've seen some that would help all of us if we had those in our lives. We instilled those in our children. The seventh proverb now in verse 1 through 3 says this, My son, keep my words and lay up my commandments with thee. Keep my commandments and live, and my law is the apple of thine eye. Bind them upon thy fingers and write them upon the table of thine heart. We've been taught and what God has given. That sounds a whole lot better, a lot easier to talk to. You'll find he's encouraging to keep the commandments. I'm going to tell you a great character truth. Obeys the Word of God. And one of the things that's a great character truth is to obey the Word of God. <laughs> I hope they won't die again. We'll be ready next time, won't we? Obeys the Word of God. Now, it's important that you and I obey the Word of God. One of the things that will help, help us is, by the way, to have discretion and discipline that I read this book and simply obey it. There's a lot of things that I read in the Word of God sometimes. I don't understand exactly why God tells me to do something or not do something. Sometimes it may take me years to understand the real essence behind what the Word of God says. But if I know that God loves me, and I know that all the Word of God is, is just, it is God's love letter to me, to you. And God is not just telling us to do something just because He's God, and He just wants to make our lives hard and miserable. But that everything that God has a commandment about, whether it is a commandment to do something or a commandment not to do something, if I just simply obey that, boy, you'll find out there's, there's, there's great safety in that. But it takes great character to do that. Great character, just to trust what God says. Just trust that God knows what is best. And just trust that God loves me. There's a lot of things that I can look at that. For example, I just take the Ten Commandments. Start down the Ten Commandments. God knows what is best. I could take those commandments. There's an interesting thing. I used this in an illustration the other day. If you take the Old Testament law, what we call the Old Testament law, there are 618 commandments in the Old Testament law. That's why it says that there's none righteous, no, not one. It's an impossibility for anybody to keep all that. But the truth of the matter is, just because I know that it's impossible doesn't mean I ought to throw the tally and not try. And not try. God wants me to, to obey Him. He certainly wants me to obey Him when He speaks to my heart. 
when He speaks to my heart through the Word of God, and I'm reading the Word of God, and God begins to speak to my heart. When you're, by the way, that's how you let God speak to you is reading the Word of God. There's oftentimes people say to me, Preacher, I, I'm trying to make a decision about something. And it's not something I can just say, well, you know, God's telling you, hey, this is the right job for you. This is the right thing God wants you to do. Oftentimes some, some young man will come to me and say, I think God's calling me to preach. What do you think I need to do? And I say, I think you need to find a verse of Scripture that says God's calling you to preach. I think that's what you need to do. I tell people all the time, you need to read until God gives you an answer in the Word of God. And, and, and by the way, you're making decisions about all kinds of things in life. Ask God to show you in the Word of God what it is. Now, by the way, when God shows you, He will show you. I learned that years ago. I had an old, an old preacher of mine that guided me into that. And I've just learned to pray about things like, God, what should I do about that? And if you're sincere with God and going, I'm going to read my Bible, you show me. There'll be a passage of Scripture that will jump out and show you what you need to do. And then you got two choices that. You either obey that or argue with it. You either obey that or you put it aside. Well, not now. But the truth of the matter is, you, you obey the Word of God. There's character in that. There's character in that. And I guarantee you there's nothing in your life, nothing in my life, that I'm having to make a decision about that this Bible doesn't have an answer for. I guarantee it. I, I, I remember... God called me to preach, and I, that was a. I, I argued with the Lord over that for a lot of reasons. Not necessarily, I was trying to be disobedient, but I, I, I stutter too much, and I, I'm not wise enough, and I don't know if I'm clear enough, and I, I had a whole lot more big long list than that. But God gave me a passage of scripture, I knew God wanted me to preach. So finally I said, Well, Lord. If that's what you want, I'll do it. I honestly thought I'd preach one time and God said, Now you've obeyed, go, go back to something else. You need, to, you need to sit down and get out of the way. I'm still waiting for him to say that. I ain't found a verse that says that yet. The truth of the matter is, I remember whenever God began to deal with our heart about this, being here, and I didn't want to do this. There's a passage of Scripture. Every time I sign something around here, I write Ezekiel 22:30. And it's because God just burdened my heart and I knew what God wanted me to do. Now, I'm only saying those things to say this. If you'll ask God, He will show you in His Word. Now, you've got to read it. I mean, you can't just sleep, put your head on it and sleep on it and let it go into your brain. You've got to read the Word of God and God will show you, I guarantee you, all kinds of things. But it takes character to be obedient to it. Some things are easier than others. Some things are harder than others. Some things, you ever, when God shows you something, you have to make a decision. Not everybody's going to agree with it. Not everybody's going to agree with the stance you've took. Not everybody's going to agree with the direction you're leading your family. Not everybody's going to agree with the direction of where you're going. Some people are going to think you're a fanatic. and Some people are going to think you've lost your brains. And, but if once the Word of God there, you've got to make a decision. I'm going to follow God. Some things are easy. They'll agree with that. Some things are not. And I want to tell you what a good character is. Is whenever you do what He says in the seventh proverb, is just keep the Word of God and obey the commandments. And you let that be the guiding force in your life. You let the Bible be what guides your character and what guide, guides your morals. 
and God guides what's right and wrong. Not, not, not public opinion, not what the world thinks. What does God say? And those are the things that takes character to do. In my way, it's one of those things that we've got to teach our children. I'm going to see another one. Get a fifth one for tonight. Look, if you will, in the eighth proverb. I'm going to pull two verses out of this eighth proverb. And there, there's a point out of each one of them, verse 11, verse 19. And, and, and there's an interesting point here. Verse 11. For wisdom is better than rubies, and all things that may be desired are not to be compared to it. Now skip down to verse 19. talks about wisdom again. Talking about wisdom. My fruit is better than gold, yea, than fine gold, and my revenue than choice silver. Now here we find he, he's been talking about wisdom. And, and wisdom. Now there's a difference between wisdom and knowledge. Uh, wisdom is, uh, knowledge is something, uh, you, you can get book knowledge. You can read a book and have knowledge about it. You, you can... You can read and study and, and, and have knowledge and you might have all kinds of technical information and you might be able to have all kinds of historical things about it and you might be able to say all things. But if you've never experienced it, you don't have wisdom. Wisdom is one of these things that takes time. There's no shortcut to wisdom. It's experience. And, and, and he says, you know, one of the things that you ought to desire is wisdom. Now, there's two things about wisdom that every one of us ought to desire. Number one, we ought to learn to be patient in life and just seek out what's right and seek what God says and get wisdom earning ourselves. One of the things early on that, 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 that in, in studying this about wisdom, all through the book of Proverbs especially, is if I'm trying to seek advice, seek somebody that's older than I am. I'm trying to make my mind about something. I need to find somebody that's older than I am, somebody that's done it, and seek their wisdom. You know what got Sol uh, uh, Rehoboam in trouble? Solomon's son. Solomon's son had, uh, Solomon reigned for 40 years, and, and then his son Rehoboam took the kingdom, and then there was a little bit of a revolt by a guy named Jeroboam. If you know your Bible, you know what I'm talking about. And Jeroboam got the people together and they, they came before uh, Rehoboam and, and, and they gave him some demands. And so here we find Rehoboam goes before the old men, or Solomon's council, and said, what do we do? And he said, I tell you what if you do. He said, if you'll hearken to this people and you'll listen to this people and if you'll just be good to them, they'll follow you. It's wisdom. How'd they have that? Because they'd live long enough to see it. Solomon goes to the young people who's raised with him and said, what do you think we ought to give an answer? They say, ah, just tell them that your little finger is going to be wider than your father's loins and that he chastised you with, with thorns, but you're going to chastise them with scorpions. And said, you go tell them, you answer them roughly. And the Bible says that Rehoboam forsook the advice, the wisdom of the older men and followed the younger men. By the way, it lost the kingdom. There was all kinds of problems. There's a great illustration in that. I need to find somebody that's a little older than me, a little wiser than me, been there and done that. Listen to them. I've had y'all pray. Dr. Sexton's one of those men. Dr. Sexton's one of my mentors. And Dr. Sexton's always good to me and he loved me. But I call him up on the phone and say, Hey, Doc, I got a question. 
I go over and sit in his office and say, I got a question. I got, I got to make a decision about something. What do you think I need to do? And, and he'd always look at me and say, well, what does the Bible say about it? <laughs> That's really not what you're asked for after. You're usually wanting him to tell you what to do. And he'd say, what does the Bible say about it? And then before long, he's discussing it. And then before it's always over, he'd say, let me tell you what I did one time. It didn't work too well. It's what you're trying to do. You might, it might work for you. But won't you try that? Before long, I'm like, no, I don't think. If it didn't work for you, it probably won't work for you. I don't think I'll try that. It's wisdom. I told somebody one day, that's the way my dad used to, man, my brother. And we got older, he'd always do that. We'd be working somewhere, and he'd want to change the way something's being done. Dad said, well, you know, we tried that once. That didn't work, but you might be able to make it work. Why don't you try that? And I found out real fast that wisdom is something you can't learn. You experience it. There's great truth about wisdom. And great truth about it. And one of the points of good characters has great value on wisdom. Great value on folks older than I am. Great value on their experience. Great value on their wisdom. I find out, unfortunately, I'm getting older now, and there's only a few people older than I am. Brother Ted. <laughs> I'm in trouble enough. I was going to name a couple of us. I don't think I will. <laughs> Brother Fred Ward. <laughs> Older than I am. By the way, I do rely on that wisdom. There's great, there's great character in that, by the way. Relying on wisdom. And you have, great, uh, you have great value on it. Let me get one more tonight. I didn't get done. We'll just pick them up next week and we'll just add it to the next one. I like this next one. The ninth proverb in verses 7 and 8. I talked to a boy about this very thing today. Tried to encourage him on something. A man about my age, and we were talking about some things. And I want you to notice what this says here in Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 7, or seventh, ninth proverb, seventh verse. He that reproveth a scorner giveth to himself shame, and he that rebuketh a wicked man giveth himself a blot. Reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee, Rebuke a wise man, and he will love thee. Now, in those two verses, we, we, we find four different people that's dealt with. We find three of them. It really doesn't do you any good to try to correct them. But you find the fourth one, the last one. Someone that has wisdom, if you rebuke them, they will love you for it. And I simply entitle this, one of the points of good character is admits when you're wrong. Now, there's a great truth in that. I don't care how old we get and how much wisdom we have, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna be wrong from time to time. We're, we're going to be wrong. We're going to see things wrong. Sometimes we're going to sin. We're going to be wrong. And we've got to be able to have enough character to admit I was wrong in that. I messed up there. I didn't do the right thing there. We have to have enough character to admit that to, to our friends, our family. By the way, one of the things I've found as a parent, grandparent, it's a great truth every once in a while, you have to say to your kids, hey, I was wrong in that. You talk about giving your kids some, some confidence in you is whenever you admit you're wrong. It helps. There's a great truth in that. It does that with people that you're 
around and if, if God's put you over someone, like over your children, over others, to have enough character to admit I was wrong in that. It's important. Now I want you to go back and notice the three people and we'll close that, that, that they don't admit it. Let's go back to verse 7. He that reproveth a scorner getteth to himself shame. Now a scorner is someone that sits around. All they ever do is talk about how dumb everybody else is and how smart they are. That's what it means to be a scorner. By the way, that, all of us deal with those people in life. And it doesn't matter what's going on or what's being said, they are always right and everybody else is an idiot for not listening to them. And you know what? You try to talk to them and all it does is bring shame. You and I did not need to have that kind of character. You need to listen to people. Now watch the next one. Not only the scorner, start at verse 7, go back to the verse. He that reproveth the scorner giveth to himself shame, and he that rebuketh a wicked man giveth himself a blot. Now that's an interesting thing. What in the world does that mean? That word blot's talking about a black eye. He said, you rebuke somebody that's wicked, and all he's going to do is punch you in the face. And by the way, I'm old enough, I know guys like that. And they do things and... And people say, why don't you say something to them? Because I didn't want to get in a fight. And they're dead wrong, and I know they're wrong. Now, sometimes it has to be done, and you got to fight. But he said, there's a wicked man, you, you rebuke him, you tell him he's wrong, and before he'll admit he's wrong, he's going he's gonna to black your eye, he's going to try to fight you. And I know people like that. I know people like that for absolute fact. Deal with them. I could name you four or five guys right now. Yeah, well, it's just the way it is. It's just the way they are. By the way, it's not good to be that way. It's not good to have that kind of an attitude. That's, not, that's, not, that's poor character. Whenever somebody rebukes you, you'd want to fight. That's poor character. It's very poor character. Now keep going. Look at the, look at the third one, verse number 8. Reprove... Not a scorner. He goes back to the scorner unless he hate thee. Whenever you reprove a scorner, and by the way, there sometimes you, you get someone that always thinks they're always right, and, always they, and you get them backed in the corner and, and, and you showed them they're wrong, they hate you for it. But here's the character every one of us needs, is to be able to admit we're wrong. But in the last part of verse 8, rebuke a wise man, he'll love thee. I ought to have enough character when someone says, Hey, Mike, you're wrong. My wife shows me I'm wrong. That you love them for it. By the way, because I, as dumb as I am, I need a lot of people showing me when I'm wrong. There's truth in that. And it takes character on all of our parts that when we're wrong and somebody shows you you're wrong, just to love them for it. By the way, sometimes people rebuke you and they do it in good spirit. It's easy to take. Sometimes they do it in a bad spirit. <laughs> and it still don't change the fact that I was wrong and I need to be corrected. There's truth in that. It takes character and I need it. We all need character. And one of these things of good character is admits when we're wrong. There are five of them tonight that we looked at. It's good character to have discretion and know, have good judgment. It's good character to 
have a disciplined life in every area of my life. It is good character to be truthful in all things. It is good character to obey the Word of God. And it is good character to put great value on wisdom. I guess we looked at six of them, didn't we? And great character to admit when we're wrong. Character traits. Things we need. Makes good character. Things we need to teach. We teach two ways. What I'm doing now is teaching. But the way that sticks out more than anything else, especially the young people, is that they witness those things in our lives. And we ought to be teaching good character. By saying it, but more importantly, by living it. Good character. Good character. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I appreciate you being here tonight.